0: I, uh, I really like that song a lot. It's um, It's been one of my favorites growing up. It came out a long time ago. Um, but it really captures a lot of what, uh, I think, is at the heart of, of what we do in our relationship with God. Um, as we go to the Lord this morning, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 35. So if you want to turn there, I think it's on page 80 uh, in the Bible in front of you. If you don't have your Bible, um, you can just follow along on the screen. Uh, so let's read this passage together. And while you're flipping there, um, I'm, I'm Josh. I don't know if you, I, I normally play the guitar, um, but I have the privilege of, uh, of preaching today. I'm, I'm very excited to bring God's word to you. Uh, so thank you, Robert, and the other session for letting me Share what's on my heart. Let's read this passage together from Exodus chapter 40. Starting back in verse 33. So Moses finished the work. Here's what happens next. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the honor and the privilege of coming into your house this morning for worship. We praise you for for allowing us, despite our sin, despite our, our need, despite the ways we may have failed you throughout this week, Lord, you still invite us to come. Lord, as we look at this passage from the Old Testament, as we seek to know your will in our lives, we pray that you would make it clear. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, we pray that you would give me strength to preach what your word has to say this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you back up a little bit in this passage, you can see that the title is called The Tabernacle Erected or something like The Tabernacle Constructed. And a lot went into building the tabernacle. There were months of effort and preparation. There was design work. There was, there was sewing. There was metal work. There was purification. All these different things to get ready for, for this moment. And getting ready is, is important. Um, we all get ready for different things. Many of you got ready this morning to come to church. Um, Can you imagine if you decided to just skip that step in your day? Uh, If you, I'm going to go to work today, you just kind of roll out of bed, and you just go downstairs and get in your car and and drive to work. Um, You know, bedhead all crazy, still in your pajamas, morning breath. Uh, It probably wouldn't be very good. Maybe even a less popular version of that would be getting ready to go on a date with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, you uh, just decide, you know, I'm, we're just going to go. I don't know where we're going. I didn't get dressed up, nothing fancy. It just is, is crazy that we wouldn't do that. I mean, we get ready for all sorts of things throughout the day. We think of all the things you did last night to get ready for today. Maybe you set the alarm in the morning to wake up. You laid out clothes. You got the coffee maker all prepped and, and the alarm set for that so you would have some wake-up juice for the morning. Uh, maybe, uh, kids, you're getting ready to do some homework for Christmas break when it's done in just a couple weeks. There's all sorts of things we, we do to get ready. I wonder how much time we put into getting ready for the big games coming up on New Year's Day. Maybe your team is playing. Are there, are there playoff implications for next year? Is this person injured? How is this going to impact my fantasy league if this player plays or that? How much time do we put into getting ready for that? Or Maybe there's the sequel to a a book you've really enjoyed that's coming out, or a movie that's a sequel to something you've really enjoyed that's coming into the theaters. you will maybe back up and start rereading the series again. Uh, You might watch the first couple movies in that series so that you're ready to go when you go to the theater, you get that book. I I remember uh, back in college uh, watching The Return of the King come out on the theater. So if you do your math, you can figure out how old I am, I guess, but... um, it was coming out, and we all, a bunch of us from college, decided to go and see the final movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we go to the, go to the theater, and we watch through this movie. It was, it was really good. And towards the end, as Frodo is making his ascent to, to Mount Doom, and he has the ring in hand, uh, one, of, one of our friends leans over and says, what, what's the big deal with this ring? What's so important about the ring? And we just kind of looked at her. What? And, and it turns out she had not only not seen the first two movies, she had not read any of the books. This was her first encounter with, with Tolkien. And even if you haven't read it, you can guess by the series name, The Lord of the Rings, that the ring is kind of important. And it just didn't, it didn't dawn on her that it was important. Sure, she still enjoyed the movie, but not nearly as much as if she had been prepared it, that she had done her work to get ready for it. It's amazing the care and the preparation we put into these superficial tasks, and yet how much prayer and preparation and time do we put into getting ready for what we're doing right here in worship on Sunday morning? Do we take the same time and care when we come before the Lord of the universe? Does our preparation warrant the kind of glory, temple-filling, awe-inspiring, can't even approach God wonder that happened at the tabernacle? Does does our preparation even warrant a display like that from the Lord? Are we ready for what God might do in worship? Are we ready even to come and worship the Lord? Well, if you're like me, then your answer really varies from week to week. Uh, Sometimes we are are ready and psyched and pumped to come to worship. We've had at least four out of seven days in the word. That's, that's a good week, you know, good, good quiet times. We have had victories over sin. We've seen some really incredible answers to prayer, and we are just pumped to come to worship God on Sunday morning. That's, that's all we can do to not come to worship. But other weeks, Sunday seems to sneak up on us, and it's really all we can do to pick out an outfit just to wear on Sunday morning. You know, you just stare at your closet and you try to answer that crucial question, did I wear that last week? (laughs) I I am faced with that all the time. Um, So, I mean, that really is where this passage is very, very helpful because it shows us not only that God appeared and can still appear in an incredible way, but all the things leading up to God's appearance in, that, in this incredible passage in Exodus chapter 40. <clears throat> so, let's take a deeper look and see what happens here. Uh, the approach to worship, as we see it in this passage, this, this story is really sandwiched between two big uh, failures of worship in the Old Testament. Uh, we're in Exodus chapter 40 right here. If you back up eight chapters or so, you see the story of the golden calf, where the people of Israel were tired of waiting for God to kind of tell them how to do things. So they thought, let's, let's just do something that we want to do. Let's build a really cool calf, and that can be God, and we can worship it. And um, it ended up, they had to eat the calf, and a bunch of them got sick, and thousands of them died, and it just did not work out well for Israel. Fast forward past this, another 10 chapters or so, and you have the story of Nadab and Abihu, who again wanted to just kind of worship God the way they thought would be good, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them because of the way that they worshiped the Lord. So we're right in the middle of these two stories, right in the middle of, of God revealing the law, revealing how he is to be worshiped. Israel hasn't had the big sin yet of, of rejecting uh, the spies' advice to go into the land of Canaan, so they haven't been <coughs> sentenced to their, their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness yet. There's still great hope, there's still great promise, and they are still on their way to the land of Canaan. That is kind of where we pick up the story right now. Moses has received instructions for how to construct the tabernacle And God has been meticulously detailed about every little thing, the length of the posts, how long the curtains should be, how thick they should be, the specific instruments that should be in the tabernacle. God isn't leaving anything to chance about how he is to be worshipped and approached. In fact, if you look back, excuse me, at the the, uh, whole book of Exodus really, you see the phrase Uh, the Lord commanded or the commands of the Lord, something like that. From the time Israel uh, leaves Egypt until here, it happens 44 times, the phrase the Lord commanded. And in just Exodus 39 and 40, it's repeated 18 times. And as the story continues in Leviticus, we see it another 45 times, almost 90 times in these two short sections of scripture, we see the phrase the Lord commanded commanded the Lord commanded God has a specific way he wants things to be done but why all these commands like why so much law what's what is the deal with all this law isn't that the bad rap that Christianity gets sometimes There's just so many rules all these do's and don'ts that you have to check off and do I, I just don't want all that religion stuff. I just want the relationship with God. Can you just, I just want to have my heart engaged. I don't want all these lists of things. If my heart's in it, isn't that enough? Can't I just worship God from my heart and not have to worry about all these, these rules that God has given us? That's, that's often our attitude as we approach worship on Sunday. We come to church, and we, we try to flip the switch on our hearts, and we try to turn it on even though it's been off all week. And then we wonder why we have a lackluster time of worship. Why is it that the person next to me got so much out of worship and out of the sermon, and it just felt like a dud Sunday morning to me? Now, now, granted, I've walked away from the time of singing in church feeling that way, and I'm the one leading the worship. So I understand if you have a morning where you just didn't, you didn't feel like you were really In tune with what god was doing that happens to all of us and there is a responsibility for those who lead in worship whether in preaching or music or reading scripture or leading in the prayer time to lead well and to lead with excellence however there is also a great responsibility for us as worshipers coming before god to be ready and to prepare our hearts for worship and that is why god has given us the law in this portion of scripture God's law isn't simply a set of rules, and I can understand why we often think of it that way, because in our culture, that's, that's what the law is. We have a law for how fast you can drive and for uh, how much taxes you have to pay, and those things don't really uh, endear us to the government and make us feel closer to it, and like, oh, thank you so much for, here's my money, you know, take it, enjoy, and um, that doesn't really, it's not really how it works, but God's law is supposed to work that way. This is maybe a better definition of God's law. God's law is that which determines and defines how our relationship with God will work. God's law is that which determines and defines how our relationship with God will work. God is not just interested in do's and don'ts. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to know him, to know how to interact with him because believe it or not, God is not just some higher evolved being. He's not just us like millions of years and and really smarter. He is completely different and we on our own really have no idea how he wants to be worshipped. We can have these 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 thoughts and these plans but without God interjecting his law and his ways of how he wants to be worshipped we really don't know what we're doing and so this is a great grace that God has given us his law so that we can know how he is to be worshipped. Now again it doesn't always go right. Think back again to the golden calf. They did not worship God how he wanted to be worshipped. So Moses melted down the calf, and they, they ate it, and it wasn't very good. Um, Nadab and Abihu. Again, we see that phrase, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire which the Lord had not commanded them and the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and God said to those that approach me I will be treated as holy I'm not just some person you're going and hanging out with I am God and this is how you are to come and worship me we sang that song the heart of worship which might be a familiar one to a lot of you and I love the phrase in there <clears throat> I'm sorry Lord for the thing that I've made it because it's not about me it's all about you And when we make worship our own thing, it becomes all about us, and it's not about the God of the universe. Moses understood this. Moses understood that God had a specific way to be approached, and that is why in all these chapters we see this repeated phrase. If you look back, chapter 40 of Exodus, you see in verse 16, in verse 19, in verse 21, in verse 23, 25, 27, 29, 32 as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses again and again follows the Lord's commands. He follows God's law, obeying the commands of the Lord. And then we get to this phrase where we started our reading before, so Moses finished the work at the end of verse 33. And then something amazing happens. There is a great encounter with the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you just imagine this scene? The, the tabernacle is, is enormous. It is huge. This is a place where Israel, hundreds of thousands of people, this is where they can come and worship the Lord, Okay. This tent, the cloud that has been, been with them, guiding them, descends on this and it explodes with God's glory. So much so that Moses can't even approach it. Now, Moses has seen glimpses of God's glory. He was there when the burning bush was, was burning. He saw that. He saw when God revealed himself, just, just, just his, his backside to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. This is Moses whose face was shining so brightly that Israel couldn't even look at his face and he had to cover it with a veil. Moses is not a stranger to God's glory, except when this happens. God's glory explodes so greatly that Moses cannot even come near to the tent of meeting. This is a huge event and a big display of God's glory. It isn't this just what Sunday morning is for us. We come and we worship God and sometimes it's almost like we can see God's glory. The pastor paints with vivid colors of scripture. We see images of, of who God is, what he has done his works are described to us. We remember the things that God has done in our own lives, prayers that have been answered, sins that have been forgiven. And then we, we pray and we sing a song like Behold Our God or In Christ Alone. And you can, you can just feel that God is here in our midst. However, this isn't always the, the case. Oftentimes, real life kicks in. Usually on Saturday night is when things happen. It disrupts our ideal worship experience you know the kid gets sick and you're up half the night with them Uh, we schedule a get-together that that goes late into the evening later than we had thought maybe relatives are in from out of town and and like happened this morning with us they decide we want to be on the road by seven and so you know you get up and you you have breakfast with them and 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 real life just happens it happens in all of our lives And, and typically saturday night seems to be a prime spot for those real life events to take place and it disrupts our morning worship. We, we try to pump the coffee in, but it just, it just doesn't always work. We sometimes just aren't, aren't ready. A lot of these things we can work around. A lot of these things we can, we can maybe plan better to have a, a better preparation time the night before. But a lot of times we, we cannot. However, if we are living with God consistently throughout the week, when those distractions come, when those things that, that could take our focus off of God try to intrude on in our life, oftentimes the, the opposite happens. When we've been walking with God faithfully, those, those trials, those things tend to point us closer to him. We see God's strength made perfect in our weakness as we approach the Lord on Sunday, and instead of taking our gaze off of the Lord, we see him clearer as he works in these incredible ways because we have been walking with him throughout the week. A consistent. Weekday life of fellowship with God through obedience, through following His law, through relationship can give a, a hugely different color to a weekend meltdown. If we save our preparation time for Saturday night only or the car ride to church, we're going to find ourselves woefully unprepared for what God might and could do in the midst of His gathered people. And we might even miss it altogether just being distracted our minds somewhere else during the whole worship service and then we all of a sudden have the benediction and we wonder what what even just happened in worship i just we, we weren't even there because our minds were not ready perhaps it's something even deeper than than an outside distraction maybe maybe you've been struggling with sin throughout the week maybe your week has been full of rebellion against god maybe because, instead of the four out of 7 days of a solid quiet time we've had Five, six, seven out of seven days struggling with that habitual sin that just will not go away. And we come with guilt in our hearts. We come with, with a conscience that is just overridden with, with hopelessness and depression. Maybe the first time we pray all week is just a quick one as we walk through the door or, or we praise God that we have some silent time during the confession time to, to speak to him because that's the first time we've spoken with God all week. Is there hope if that's how we come to worship? Does a week of backsliding mean that we might as well just forget about worship on Sunday because I'm not going to get a ton out of it? Should we even come if we didn't measure up to the laws that God has given us throughout the week, if we have been failing him time and again? Do we just stay home and hope for a better week and then try again the next Sunday? Well, oftentimes that is our temptation. We don't want to encounter a God that we feel might be disappointed in us or is angry with us because of how we have sinned. And so we just, we just stay home and we, we don't come to church and we don't worship God. We don't spend time with him. And typically that doesn't give us more motivation To spend time with God. It just gives us less motivation. We grow more and more distant. Um, And and that's true with with, with anybody. With with God, typically absence does not make the heart grow fonder with the Lord. We we need to spend time with him in order to encourage and grow in our relationship. So, So what does this mean? Is there hope? Is there joy that can still be found in worship, even if we are in sin, if we're distracted, if we haven't had the best week? Well, Yes, there is. Otherwise, this would be a very sad, uh, sad message this morning. Um, so I want to encourage you that there is great hope coming to the Lord, no matter how our week has been. As we come to the Lord in worship today, uh, it is a little bit more difficult you know, we don't have all the aspects of God's law spelled out for us like they did in the Old Testament. We don't have the specific sacrifices, the purification rituals, the, the dietary restrictions, the things that we know for sure that these are, this is what God has given us because in Christ, we are no longer under, under that portion of the law. He said we are free to, to eat as we, as we choose, which I am I'm very thankful for. and sh- sure you were as well over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, you know, there are... Lots of things that we, we can try to do, but, but in the end, are we just, we lost because we don't know specifically what God wants. Well, praise God, the answer to that is, is no, we are not lost. It's not up to us to just be a Pharisee all week, and as long as you did everything you're supposed to do and didn't do everything you weren't supposed to do, that means you'll have a good time of worship and God will give you your gold star when you walk through the door and, and you'll have a great time. Thankfully, that is not the answer our preparedness and obedience maybe once was a huge factor in worship but it is not the deciding factor anymore as we approach god in worship the the deciding factor in worship is jesus christ he is the reason why we can now come to god whenever we, we want to. We can come to God in worship and praise, and especially as a gathered people in worship on Sundays. Uh, flip forward in your Bibles to John chapter 1. There's an incredible uh, parallel passage uh, that we've been looking at even the past several weeks with the incarnation of Christ that, that really mirrors what we just saw in Exodus chapter 40. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And skip down to verse seventeen for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So as you look at this passage, maybe some of the parallels are jumping off at you right now, but look at all the similarities between this New Testament passage and what we just read in the book of Exodus. Notice that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This this is the Greek word that means to, to pitch a tent, to tabernacle. Literally, it means Jesus Christ tabernacled among us, just like The tabernacle was planted in the Old Testament and God dwelt in the midst of that tabernacle. Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. Glory just like we saw in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father. Look in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. The same law that Moses was following, command after command after command, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the same law in the Old Testament. Now we see the New Testament parallel to that. And lastly, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Was, look, this is the same kind of idea in the Old Testament that no one, no one can see the glory of God because the glory is so bright, no one can approach him, no one can get near. You cannot look on the glory of God. No one has ever seen God, but look what it says right after. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus Christ, he has made him known. He has explained him to us. In the book of Exodus, the tabernacle was built by Israel and dwelt in by God, but now Jesus Christ, he is the tabernacle that now dwells in the church. He dwells in us, the new Israel. In the book of Exodus, the relationship between God and man was defined by the law of Moses. That is how they related to one another, Moses and God and his people. But now through Jesus, the relationship is defined through grace and truth, no longer defined solely by the law. In the book of Exodus, no one could see God or even approach because of God's glory, but Jesus Christ now declares the Father to us. And not only does he declare the Father and explains the Father, he invites us to come to him in worship. This is how we can live in obedience to God throughout the week to be ready for worship we can look and gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ. That is how we can prepare our hearts and be ready for an encounter with God on Sunday morning. But if we fail, if we have a week full of sin and rebellion, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see, God isn't surprised at your sin. And if you've been at this church for any length of time, this is, this is an important and repeated and essential part of understanding our role and our relationship with God. He isn't surprised at what we do during the week. He doesn't watch us like Santa Claus and see if we've been naughty or nice and then if we've been naughty, oh, bad experience on Sunday morning, you're going to feel my wrath, and oh, you were good, so now we'll have a good relationship. He knows that we're naughty all the time. That's just how life is as a human being. We are lost in our sin, but we aren't ever so lost that God cannot see us as clean through Jesus Christ. When we come to God in repentance, when we come to God as people that are, are totally dependent on His grace, He sees us as clean. He sees us as His Son. We are no longer clothed in our sin. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. He doesn't wait around for us to, to get clean enough to be able to come to church. He doesn't say, Nope, if you had only done five things this week, we could let you in, but but you did seven, so you know, next week let's do a little better, and then once we clean ourselves up, then it's okay. He takes us as we are, dirty, lost, sinful, covered in in that wretchedness that John Newton wrote about in Amazing Grace, and he is the one that does the work of enabling us to worship him. Look what it says in in Ephesians chapter 2. You can flip there if you like, but it's up here on the screen. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And look at this last section here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we we are not off the hook. We can't just say, well, I'll just say a quick prayer of forgiveness, and then I'm good for Sunday, right? Right? We, we have been saved by God's grace so that we might continue in good works. We are not free from obedience. Jesus Christ himself says in John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you claim to love Jesus Christ, if you claim to be one of his followers, one of his children that loves him, this is what your life will look like. You will keep his commandments. There is grace for when we struggle grace for when we fall but our life should be characterized by obedience by following the ways that god has called us to have a relationship with him god hasn't abandoned us thankfully to worshiping god as 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 we might want to on a whim the new testament is still full of ways to worship god and obey the lord but worshiping god in the end is greater than just doing good things It is based on what God has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to focus on throughout the week. It's more than just a checklist of of doing all the right things. We need to spend time looking at Jesus, seeing who he is, seeing the Father through the lens of Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself through Scripture. And that is how we can see God if you want to be blown away by your experience on Sunday morning, if you want to encounter God, if you want to know him in all that he is, look to Jesus during the week. That is really what John 1.18 means by Jesus has declared him or explained him. If, if, if you struggle with, I want to know more about God, I want to know who he is, what is his will, uh, what is he like, what, is, what does he enjoy, how does he want me to serve him, look at Jesus Christ. He is the one who explains the Father through us. During the week, do what he says, follow his example, talk with him, listen to to music, listen to things that will focus your heart on him, remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life, how he has answered prayers, how he has redeemed you from your sin, how he has been faithful in the lives of others. Read read a good biography about something that God has done in in a life of a missionary, one of our our saints of, of old. Stay away from the things that will take your eyes off of him. Don't fill up your mind with, with crass humor, with, with entertainment that glorifies things that God calls sin. Don't ignore the ways that God has called you to live a righteous life before him. Don't ignore the ways that God has called you to strengthen your own heart and your relationship with God. If we ignore those things, we should not be surprised at all that we don't encounter God on Sunday morning. If we are living a week, of, of constant indulgence in sin, in, in things that God declares, these, these are wrong. We should not be involved with these things. We should not be surprised when we don't see God clearly on Sunday morning. But if we follow him, if we rejoice in his grace, if we remind ourselves of these things, if we, if we bathe in God's goodness and his graciousness and his forgiveness, we will see him on Sunday. You will see him even more than when we are gathered at this, as a people in worship. As you look back on this past year, a lot has happened. How would you characterize your relationship with God? Just think about that. How would you characterize your relationship with God in 2014? If you hold it up to the standard of of God's word, how was it? God has spelled out how a relationship with him should look, how a Christian should walk and live. how How did you do in 2014? Well, however this year went, let 2015 be, be another step towards God and to strengthening your relationship with the Lord. You know, we have a lot of tools. There are a lot of things in our culture that we are blessed with that can really enable us to do that. Here are just a couple things if you're wondering practically, uh, how can we follow the Lord? Here's some tools. Every week as you get ready for worship, on about Wednesday in the middle of the week, you can go to our church website. At the very bottom of the homepage, there's a thing that says, Sunday worship, or you can type that in if you type in the web address all the way. But on Wednesday, there's, there's posted what we're doing in worship on Sunday morning. There are links to listen to music, uh, to, watch, to watch it on YouTube, to, to listen to it just through your computer. Uh, all of our readings that we're going to be reading through on Sunday morning are there. There's a link at the very bottom for the sheet music for all the songs. If you want to print them out, play them on your piano or do those kinds of things. This is up. This has been up here every week for this past year, and it will continue to be up here every week going forward. So Sunday morning, if you are a person that likes to read music, um, you, know, you can print this out and bring it with you. You can bring your iPad and That's what I do. I have all my music right on here, and you can just sing along if that's something that will aid your worship. But during the week, use this as a tool to prepare your heart for what God is going to do on Sunday. Uh, Have a daily plan to see God in Scripture. Uh, Everybody has their New Year's resolutions, and a common one is, I'm going to be in the Word every day. Um, If you can do that, it'll be awesome. It's incredible. If you struggle with that, a lot of times it's because we don't know where to start or we get behind on our schedule. Uh, a schedule that I have found really helpful is, is this one. Uh, put a bookmark in Genesis and in Job and in Matthew and read a chapter from each of those books one, every day and you will be through the Bible in a year. That will get you through the whole scripture in, in one year, uh, give or take a few chapters here and there. Uh, if you have a, a, a smartphone and, and can get podcasts, look up the ESV Study Bible and they give you a reading of God's Word every single day. It's about 12 minutes long. It has four passages of Scripture from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the Prophets, and from the New Testament. And you get through the entire Bible and the the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs twice in one year. So if you have a commute to work, Just just sync it up when you get up in the morning and you can listen to God's Word on your way to work or as you go to sleep at night, but it'll help you to be in God's Word every day. There's all sorts of apps that have readings and different things, but take advantage of these things to be in God's Word and don't be left without an excuse for for being with God on Sunday morning. I would encourage you to to take your relationship with God very seriously. Yes, we are adopted. Yes, we are loved. Yes, despite our sin and rebellion, God tells us that if we repent, then he will embrace us. He will will save us. If we come to him in an attitude of humility, as those that have been saved and redeemed, he will continue. But we still need to be ready for worship. We still need to do what we can, what God has called us to do, to prepare our hearts for worship. You know, Robert and I spend hours every week getting this service ready so that we can all offer to God our offerings of worship. The deacons come early, unlock the doors, get the classrooms ready, get everything set. Singers and musicians and tech people rehearse, uh, get ready throughout the week, have a rehearsal on Sunday morning. The elders pray over whoever is, is preaching and are praying for us throughout the week so that we can be ready. The teachers for Sunday school, for adults, kids, all ages, prepare their hearts, their lessons, so that they can be ready to point us to the scriptures before the service. Every Sunday that the Lord allows, these doors will be open, and this place will be ready for worship. But the question still remains, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you done what you need to do to be ready to come before the Lord in worship? Our time of worship comes again in six days. Six days from now, we'll be right here again. Will you be ready? Will you be ready as we come to the Lord in worship? Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we confess that we do not know how to come to you as we should. God, we, we thank you so much that despite our, our fumblings, despite our best efforts, you still accept our worship. You don't have fire come out from your presence anymore and consume us, Lord. You, you show grace and mercy. And Lord, we do not understand why sometimes. It, it is a mystery to us why you still take us, those that have been your enemies, those that have been uh, in, in conflict against you, and yet, yet you still invite us to come to your table and worship. Lord, as we worship you now, As we respond to all that you have done, we pray that you would give our hearts a desire to be with you, to see you clearly in relationship, and to be ready for our time of worship with you as we come again in just a week. Lord, we pray that you would receive our worship however we come to you, that you would give us hearts of repentance and hearts of joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and thank the Lord for giving us Jesus Christ as we come to him in worship now.